Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 156, The Trustworthy Word Answers, Jesse. Hashtag the Bible. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from two worldwide shed quarters, one here in Blacksburg, Virginia, the other in Radford, Virginia. We are Zoomalicious again today, Jesse, on the Zoom. Good to see you. It was good to catch up before we started recording today, and uh, man, it's good to be back. Um, I guess I've seen you twice since I've been back from my trip on Zoom, both on Zoom. Both on Zoom, yeah. Um, it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame that we are being decarnational. Uh, someday <laughs> we'll just put on our Vision Pro and walk around in a meta space <laughs> together and be total tools, right? No way. We're going <laughs> to resist. That's right. We're going to get in the same room so we can dap, right. hug, and pray and see real laughter and tears, right? We don't want to just see avatars. Uh, even in the way of water. So, hey, man, uh, uh, it's good to be home. I was in I was in New England uh, for almost two weeks, and it was uh, it was a delight. Shout out to all my Northeast athletes in action folks mm. from the uh, winter retreat from the University of Rhode Island, from Brown University, from the Brown University wrestling team. Uh, new listeners, Jesse, to the Gospel Underground. What's up, guys? What's up, peoples? Um, man, it was, it was the hardest thing about the trip for me, Jesse was packing, um, because God really blessed the trip, man. It went great. I I was encouraged. It it sounded like it was an amazing trip. Yeah, it was, uh, not just the speaking events went well, but the sisters and brothers that serve the Lord up in the Mm -hmm. Northeastern United States, some of my favorite people, um, they're not going to be, you know, on the, the Christian podcast blog circus. They're not famous Christians, but they're faithful servants of God doing unbelievably great work. Both uh, I was able to serve campuses, but also the local church. Shout out City on Hill. Shout out my man Justin from Seven Mile Road. I got to uh, Mm. preach at uh, City on Hill Somerville, and I'll do an evangelism training with them, and then also meet with a couple pastors that, um, that I have the privilege of encouraging, and they encourage me. So, man, it was good. Packing for that log was difficult, but I think I did well uh, with that and got home to see uh, Casey and Tommy, realized that my daughters still aren't here, so that makes me sad, Yeah, but uh, they are doing well in the world. How are you, man? Are you doing, you're a little bit feeling, trying to fight off a little cold or something? Yeah, we've had a cold run through the family. Um, Nothing major, just a head cold, which is part of why I'm here and not there. Um, Otherwise, good. And you know, uh, listeners, here's how you know that Reed's a good friend. Before we recorded, Reed prayed, and as Reed prayed, he knows that I'm working on on uh, on on some strength training, and he <laughs> prayed for my bench press today. I've never had someone pray for my bench press before. Lord, may the bench press be strong. <laughs> may uh, may him may he come out of the hole with power. <laughs> uh, hashtag uh, uh, weightlifting underground. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm good, bro. I'm yeah. not I'm not feeling so sick that I can't go to the gym. Just. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit under the weather. Hey, man, my kids make fun of me because I always say when you get sick, you should work hard and blow your lungs out and go work out and look yep. at your yep. dumb 20-year-old wrestler uh, philosophy. But, yeah, it was Valentine's Day uh, uh, yesterday, maybe Valentine's Day or Galentine's Day for, for some folks who are either protesting or enjoying friends and mm-hmm. not uh, doing the coupling thing. But, uh, yeah, good good day. Also, the first day of Lent. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, we had a we had an Ash Wednesday service at our at our little Baptist church here in 
in Virginia. So, um, the, you know, we only just started doing that a couple of years ago. Um, and it's, uh, it's a pretty powerful, it's a, it's a good service. We had a good crowd come out pretty, pretty low key, a lot of scripture reading. Um, mm-hmm. not really like a sermon more just reading, reading the Bible together, singing songs together. So a liturgy. Um, yeah. Yeah. We didn't become Catholic, Roman Catholic or anything. <laughs> what y'all doing? Go come Catholic over there. <laughs> but we did, we did, we did, you know, come together for, for Ash Wednesday, which was on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unique which was confluence unique. Yeah. of uh, different kind of things. I guess if somebody was giving up chocolate for Lent or, or something of such things, they would have had a problem giving, getting the Valentine's candy. But like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're going to uh, resist social media as a discipline? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I, um, I decided that I'm going to cut social media off my phone, which means I won't get on because I don't get on anywhere else. So, uh, yeah, no Instagram, no Facebook. I already cut X. You X'd I out. X, I X'd out the X. X the um, X. <laughs> because X, like, like uh, whatever your neurology, whatever happens, whatever synapses fire when I go on to Instagram and, and X are totally different. When I get on to Twitter X, I get, like, angry. I get to where I'm like, I have to say something about whatever I'm reading. You start I have to, to twitch. Yeah. Yeah. But when I get, you know, when I'm on Instagram, it's usually I'm just zoning out and I'm, I'm looking at people and, or comedy things like little short reels that make me wow. laugh. Wow. Uh, so I've cut it. So I'm, yeah. I'm out. I've already found myself instinctively opening up my phone today and saying, nope. And not being today. like, there's nothing there. What not I, today, oh, yeah. algorithms. I, I can read a book. Jesse, I am reading a book right now called The Deep Learning Revolution. It's it's by Terence Sanofsky, who's a pioneer in the actual sciences, physics and neuroscience involved with deep learning algorithms and trying to do synapses, you mentioned. So it made me think of that. It's a very technical book, a little bit more technical than I expected it to be, um, mainly because I have questions about it that are technical. But yes, these... Uh, AIs that manage your desires and the algorithm that uh, feeds you ads and feeds you content, man, it starts to know you well. And and if you look at something a lot, it may just make you mad a lot, but you're going to see a lot more of that. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're, you're, Engagement. you're in the doom spiral, right? <laughs> like, I, I, uh, I wrote the book down, but then when you said, when Reed Monahan, when Reed Monahan says it's technical, well, I just decided well, I'm not going to read well, it. You might like it because the technical questions I had when he starts saying we're doing uh, neural networks, I'm thinking, is that software or hardware? And then later on, he's talking about hardware chips doing it, but I know they're doing it in software and probably across multiple servers. So you won't have those questions. So it might be just the history I, of deep learning uh, and okay. uh, learning algorithms. And yeah, my questions are a little bit further yes. upstream, <laughs> yeah, that's right. ba- backwards. That's right. that's right. Well, upstream. What do these words mean? Upstream Where's and backstream. The upstream and backstream are very important in, in learning neural networks because there's a an algorithm called backpropagation, which I don't know how it works, and I want to know how it works, where you error correct, you go upstream, and then you send it back through after it's done pattern recognition and do it again to, to get better. That's where you talk about training these algorithms ah. uh, to get better at you know looking at cats or looking at the pixels or the mathematical structure of a data set that makes up cats in a picture, that sort of thing. But Jesse, while we're talking about this, we have more important things to talk about <laughs> today. Uh, I apologize, listeners. But if you're interested in deep learning, it's a history yeah. of the whole field, actually, in academia, as well as, you know, certain things that have come to play now in, you know, generative AI and such. So it is interesting. The deep learning um, is, not that a, a is that a review? Is that a review? 
We did it by accident. It's uh, kind of an ish. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of the deep learning revolution by Terence Sanofsky, I think is how you say it. It's, it's spelled S-E-J-N-O-W-S-K-I. But today, Jesse, we're talking about a different name, the name that is above all name, uh, Jesus again, because we're doing our series on answers, right? Uh, giving good answers to people about why we believe what we believe. And today we're talking about the Bible, the trustworthy Word of God. Now, this is important. As you, we traveled in this series, we looked at, hey, there are good reasons in the world uh, and in life and in our own hearts and consciousness and creation to believe that God exists, right? And that God has shown up in the world. We looked at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as a historical uh, reality of a miracle where God showed up literally on the earth and then uh, Jesus rose from the dead and that we need him. Like last time, Jesse, we talked about um, we need a particular Savior sent by God to save us and a unique Savior and King amongst all the different ideologies and religions that have been and will be created. Uh, we need Jesus, right? Now, this brings us to a very important question, right? But, 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 but who is Jesus? Mm. Who is that? Um, and how do we know, right? Um some of you out there probably realize that there are many Jesuses, right? There's the Jesus of Scientology. There's the Jesus of Islam. There's the Jesus of uh, historic Christianity. Um, but how, there's the Jesus of, you know, he's a space alien. There's all kinds of Jesuses. Little baby uh, Jesus. Little baby in his golden fleece dive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, you know, Jesus who was, a, you know, spirit brother of Lucifer, in, in Mormon theology, right, there's different Jesuses. How do we know? Well, what is the trust uh, trustworthy source of this teaching? I, I love to do this to friends who say, we don't need theology. We just need Jesus. And I always go like, well, who's that? And as soon as you answer that question, right, one, we're doing theology, either, yeah. either good yeah. or bad, right, saying either true things or false things about Jesus. But what is the source for this teaching? Uh, about Jesus, who he is, or what is the source of his teaching that that we need and that the world needs? Well, that's where we come to the scriptures, right? The Bible, uh, the word of God. So uh, the contention uh, amongst Christians, uh, and if you go back further, Jewish, Jewish communities, it's that God is a speaking God. And that God speaks through prophets who bring his word to the world. Mm -hmm. And those things are inscripturated or written down, right? And Jesse, if you if you were to ask what's the benefit of having something written down, what are some of the things? I know I didn't prompt you on this, but what are, what are some benefits of having some? Why do you write something down? And you could write that with a stylus, a, a pencil, on papyrus, mm -hmm. on a tablet, whatever. Why do we write things down? Yeah, so a few thoughts come to mind, Reed. One is um, so that, number one, uh, you remember it. So, so right. it's, this, is, this is something that's dependable. It's there when you go back to it. Because our memories, even in cultures that are very excellent with oral tradition, uh, our memories are still fallible. Yeah. You know, there's not sort of like... Finite, uh, yeah. This, this happens sometimes where I'll uh, be in a conversation with my wife, Jenny. And um, sometimes if the conversation doesn't go well, it'll, it'll come around to like, Hey, you said this. And I'm like, no, I didn't say that. This is what I said. No, 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 no. You, you know, you're back and forth and you both have the, a different memory at the same thing. You get you know? out the text change. Hey, <laughs> throw the red flag from, yeah, from, yeah. uh, from the, the progressive commercial, whatever yeah. that commercial is Geico. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. Do the replay, um, put it through yeah, replay. Boot. Yeah. yeah. 
So that's one thing. Another thing is the transferability across yeah. people, time, and space, right? You can yeah. this, the same word is, is you can kind of get this out to more people. Um, and, and I'll just say uh, one thing that I think about with this is actually within the scripture. So I know we're going to talk about the internal testimony of the Bible, but yeah. um, I teach on this that, that Peter, there's this wonderful moment that Matthew 17 records uh, of the Mount of Transfiguration. And Matthew is very um, direct and intentional in positioning Jesus as a as a sort of um, the antitype to Israel. In other words, Israel couldn't do it. Jesus did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know, it, it happened like this in the past, but it's happened. That was all pointing to Jesus. And and I think the Mount of Transfiguration, which if you're not familiar with it, Jesus is on the mountain. He brings Peter, James and John with him. Uh, Moses and Elijah are there. Jesus is transformed and he's glowing. And there's a voice from the uh, the the cloud that's that's bright with glory that says this is my son. Yeah, whom you I picture it as like a like a Jedi council of great prophets, right? Where Jesus yeah. brings his friends, and there's kind of like m- these people from the past appear with him, and Jesus is in kind of a glorious state, revealing who he is. Right. So that's the scene. Go ahead. That's the yeah. scene. And in yeah. the scene, if you if you're if you're tracking along with Matthew and you're reading Matthew, re- you realize Matthew is very intentional with Moses and well, not Matthew. God was intentional yeah. with Moses and Elijah. Because these two figures represent God's word coming down in the mountain to God's people, right? The Mount Sinai with Moses, uh, the mount where he where where Elijah's hidden in the cleft of the rock, and here's the whisper of God's voice. And and now you have the full, like, here's the word, yeah. Jesus, God's son. But here's the really wonderful thing is when Peter writes his last letter, 2 Peter 1, and he's talking about the inscripturated word. And he's right. talking about the word that's been that w- that's now been written down and and passed out. And it's a sure word, right? This is a sure word, a more fully confirmed. And he, he he contrasts. He says, "Look, I was there. We were there. We were eyewitnesses of the glory. We heard God's voice from heaven." But you know what's even better? What's more certain and more uh, dependable and more uh, more it's something we can we, we don't have to go. You know, my memory. No, it's right yeah, here. God has right. given it to that's us right. in that's in right. Scripture. Yeah, writing is a beautiful technology. There's this funny show. It's a little bit crass and a little the language isn't great. Called Kunk on History. It's this British comedian lady on Netflix, and she talks about like and then humans invented writing, so we could it, this technology where we do- download things from our brains and then upload them to others through reading. Right, but there's a <laughs> sense where writing it. And literacy is such a gift from God, right? We're made to speak and speak, but, but also you across geography, across time, permanence, right? Yeah. It is written down for us because in the script, in the scriptures, we have God's dealings uh, with humanity and his plans for the world that he made. Uh, There's truth about God in the Bible, his guidance, practical wisdom, a rebuke for our lives. We correct, correcting us. Right. And so we encounter God's word to us. You mentioned ultimately God recounting the story through Matthew, because our view is that scripture is inspired by God. So the question arises, this is like, you know, the claim of Christians throughout time, that the prophetic tradition in the Old and New Testaments, the apostles, prophets uh, there, is inspired by God and the, and the very Word of God to us, right? So the question arises, right, how do we know that, right? How do we know that the Bible uh, is the word of God. What makes it different from, uh, you know, Harry Potter or other even other holy books? It's a different kind of book. 
or others that even claim divine origin. And so we're going to approach this in two episodes of the podcast because we don't want to get super lengthy. Uh, so this episode and the next, we'll talk about why we believe the Bible is the trustworthy Word of God. And we're going to approach that in three ways. First, we're going to look today at what the Bible says about itself in these writings from prophets and apostles, messengers from God. Uh, what does it say? What are the claims it makes? Second, we'll look at do the scriptures show themselves to live up to its claims? Does it match or corroborate? And then finally, Jesse, and this will be next time for sure, we'll look at the experiential and spiritual impact of the Bible upon human lives, human peoples, and history. And so, but today we just want to look mainly um, at what the Bible says about itself, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Since this is probably like a 30-minute podcast, Jesse, we're not going to be reading the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament. So we just pulled out a couple places mm. uh, that speak about what, what the Bible says this thing is itself. One is, you mentioned Moses, right? Uh, and I'll have you read this. This is in the book of Exodus where Moses is speaking to his people. Um, and there's some interesting language used in Exodus 24, 1-4. Yeah, the scriptures say this. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so what we have here, we have this wonderful thing about worship near and far. You kind of have geography going on where, hey, you can't come too close, only Moses, because why? God is holy. We only approach him, right, in a certain way. Uh, and then God reveals and gives to his people the wor his words and his rules. And the people like say, yeah, we're in, we're going to do that. And so he writes them down, right? Why? So we can have them. They can be transferred and people can read them, right? So, but here you have a word from God written down. Uh, similarly, very simple uh, uh, passage in the prophet Jeremiah chapter 30, Jesse. How about you read those first, the very first part of chapter 30? Yeah, verses one and two say, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. Sometimes people ask you, why a book? Well, God wanted it written down for us, right? Um, uh, if you look at the end of the book of Romans, the things that were written in former days were written for our instruction that through the encouragement of the scriptures, right, we might have hope, right? Yeah. So here we have Moses, Jeremiah, the very words of God uh, written down by prophets, right? This is the Old Testament tradition of what we might call propheticity, right? These uh, ancient Hebrew prophets speaking to us God's word. All right, New Testament, right? These are two wonderful passages in the the epistles. You, we, you already alluded to one, Jesse, and Second Peter. I forgot it was in here. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. It's uh, yeah. double up on Second Peter. Yeah. But I'll read Second Timothy three sixteen, and you can have the the Peter passage. But this is Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture. This is passe graphe, right? In Greek, all the writings is breathed out by God. 
um, literally the word theos neustos, right? I breathed out of the breath of God or the nostrils of God and profitable, good for us for teaching, for reproof. Reproof is kind of like pointing out wrong for correction, making wrong right and for training in righteousness so that so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what God's word is, breathed out scripture, right? And here's your text, 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. We'll hit the 20 in the middle there. Yeah, it says this, and we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So this is exactly what Jesse was alluding to earlier, that Peter, who was there, who saw the revelation of Jesus, the incarnate word, the enfleshed word of God in person, he said, but we have something more fully confirmed, right? We have the Scriptures, um, and this passage has an interesting term that says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This this word is pharaoh in Greek. It means to be picked up and carried by the Spirit, almost like a wind in the sail kind of things, that the prophets of God were moved inwardly by the Holy Spirit to write down what they did. And so does that mean, Jesse, that that God just made them like a inert robot so they could write stuff or, or how did that, how would you describe that process? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is that, that idea would be more of like a dictation theory that, um, you know, the, the personality of the person, the brain of the person sort of shuts down and the Holy spirit takes over and they're just like, possessed. But we know that's not, yeah. you know, that's not the way that God works. He, 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 he did not, um, he worked in kind of in collaboration with, the personality, the experiences, the even the um, the style, human of, writing style of, of the an author, yeah, yeah, the human the human author, and so um, so Jeremiah is not uh, he he doesn't he doesn't lose agency, he retains agency and voice and personality, uh, but it is God who's inspiring. What is you yeah. know what's what's being recorded? God's yeah. the one who is superintending it and driving it and blowing the wind into it, and his yeah. his Holy Spirit is the one going. This is this is this is the part of the story I'm going to to recount and put into scripture. Yeah. Um, and then, and then of course also, and there's a whole nother thing, but God is the, the Holy spirit is also who collects into the canon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's for, that's for later. Yeah. We could talk about the process yeah. by which those uh, inspired writings became kind of the one book we have. We'll do Which that it also doesn't mean time. by the way, that everything that Paul wrote or Jeremiah wrote is necessarily. Yeah. And his entire uh, inspired life. scripture. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, we know that we're missing letters, at least one letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Yeah. Uh, we 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 would assume that Paul's written many other things that weren't included, including right. like note to self. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. don't yeah. trust Alexander or yeah. whatever. Like yeah. you know, there are things that, that we might even find them. Yeah. Uh, yeah although yeah. it's not super likely, but but that doesn't mean that they're they're inspired scripture just because That's it's right. not you know, it's that it's not like Paul just became inspired and then everything he ever wrote from now on That's is right. scripture. He had the golden glow and everything he touched uh, was God. Yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. The inspired writings of the scriptures, the Old New Testaments, um, are inspired. And that, and the, you know, one of my friends and mentors, uh, Dr. Greg Allison, uh, who did his PhD work on the clarity of scripture, actually, 
Uh, he, he uses the term confluence, right? That these two, like the confluence is, a, is from rivers where two things yeah. come together and flow forward as one. And the human author and all their biography, even linguistic twi- twitches, that there's certain words they like, uh, were com- com- come together into the text, right? That is ultimately inspired by God. So it's right to say say that Paul is the author of, you know, Philippians, but it's also right to say that ultimately the author of Philippians is God, right? The spirit inspiring. So all we're saying these, these, these four passages here, guys, all that we mean to say, at least at this point in time, uh, in this first episode on the Bible is that the Bible clearly says for itself that the words of our, are of divine origin and inspiration and written down for us, Right. Now, the question is, is that true, right? Is that true? Well, in in a simplest sense, Jesse, it's either true or it's not. Um, it, so the, but there ought to be some, at least some reasons that we could, you know, say, yeah, it is true. And here are some good reasons to think that it probably is. And we're going to look at those things, Jesse, a little bit today and mostly uh, next time. What you might call, um, if the internal word in testimony of the scriptures, is, these are inspired words from God. What externally can we look at that confirm that or corroborate mm-hmm. that claim, right? And there's been many things said over history about this, and, and we will close with the most persuasive one is that the Bible itself avails itself to the heart of man that it is, right? That it is what it is, and it affects us that way. Um, so we're not trying to say, well, if you can't make a you know philosophical argument, the Bible's not true, but what we are saying, there is good evidence that lines up with the claim that the Bible is of uh, divine origin. The first one is simple internal consistency. In other words, if if truth is to say what is that it is or that it is not that it is not, that's the Aristotelian definition. I think it's good that truth corresponds to reality. Um, truth is not contradictory. That in the Bible we have truth about God, His dealings with creation, His people— and centrally about Jesus, right, the Messiah, that is a consistent uh, testimony uh, from from God. Now, you know, a lot of times people want to say, hey, this is a contradiction in the Bible. Um, most of those difficulties have been resolved quite simply. Uh, maybe there's still a few re- re- remaining, but what we have is a library of books, 66 books written over thousands of years that are internally consistent in the truth they teach about God uh, to us in His Word, right? Um, there are difficulties in the Bible, but I've not personally uh, said, "Hey, this is a contradiction uh, in its teaching." It's been uh, shown over and over again. Be trustworthy in what it, in what it teaches consistently internally. That's right. You know, um, scholars talk about the the scriptures typically in terms of uh, is particular to. You know the question that we're talking about the the um, the trustworthiness of the word in terms of reliability and authenticity, and uh, and what we're talking about with that internal consistency is reliability. Yeah. Is this reliable? Does is there consistency throughout? Is there does is this is the, do these things line up together? And actually, this goes back also to what is this? What do these words claim about themselves? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. do they then bear that out internally? Right. Um, and 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 I think you know. Anytime I've had opportunities as a pastor to sit down with many people and walk through like, hey, what about this? this what about that passage? And yeah. a lot of times it's like, look, you know, you, part of part of what happens for us is we we take um, 
we'll take a sort of a, a very modern um uh, a very modern way of judging whether or not something is is true or consistent and apply it to a pre-modern yeah. um uh, pre-modern work right yeah, so that's if right. someone says there are ten thousand people that died in that battle and someone else says there's twelve thousand people that died in that battle three thousand years ago nobody's going now wait a minute that's a wait contradiction. A second, that's a contradiction they're just going yeah. hey you know that guy from the other hill he counted more people yeah because from that yeah. hill he was able to see there were some people dead over there yes and hey. nobody's going hey this contradiction they're just going like a lot of people died that's right that's and right. so some almost all of the 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 issues are resolved with those types of like well okay yeah, uh, maybe the First Kings and First Chronicles are telling the same story from different hills, you yeah. know. And and a, a very very common way in the ancient world to record record something like that was to say hey, that, that means there's a lot of people that died. Yep. Yeah, uh, ten thousand means a lot. It that's doesn't right. Necessarily mean they counted exactly. I mean, yeah. it's much like when there's <laughs> an event in Washington D.C. on the Mall. How many people were there? Well, those are those are using sophisticated aerial photo estimation techniques. Uh, but if somebody said there were you know nine hundred eighty seven thousand people at this you know thing, million man march, um, it's not a contradictory statement. If somebody said oh, about eight hundred thousand people were there, yeah, this is and very... even the way I talk about it too is like sometimes I'll just eat a ton of bacon. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not really eating a ton. Yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not eating, you know, 2,000 pounds of bacon. I just mean I ate like seven pieces. That's right. That's right. And nobody in our context is going to think I ate 2,000 pounds of bacon. They're just going to know, like, oh, he He ate a lot lot of bacon. Yeah. You know, but in 2,000 years, someone might go, wow. Yeah. There's an old old book um, co-authored by Norman Geisler and I think Thomas Howe. There's two of the Howe brothers that are philosophers called A Handbook of Bible Difficulties, which kind of takes up a whole lot of these kind of things. But the amazing miracle of the Bible is that it recounts uh, one story uh, over thousands of years, truthfully and internally, consistently to bring about Jesus, the Messiah, and his teaching to us. So um, it is really wild when you think about how many authors, human authors, were involved over this many time stations in life, time periods, geographies, uh, to bring this one story forward throughout history, right? Uh, internally and consistent in its message. Secondly, uh, historical accuracy. This is something wonderful that the Bible has been shown over and over again against its critics and skeptics uh, to recount things from history, even things that were once doubted, like, oh, there was never a guy, you know, so there's some people, Jesse, <laughs> that say, well, there was no guy named Jesus, right? Nonsense, right? The, the, the Bible has been shown to record accurately uh, what actually happened, right, in, yeah. in history. This is something specifically when you deal with the life, teaching, and death and resurrection of Jesus, right, um, that we should have strong confidence that what, what he was about, what he taught, was accurately recorded for us, written down for us. This is a wonderful book. The guys, uh, it's a little technical, but I think most people who are interested in the Bible could handle this book. It's by a Scottish scholar named Richard Balkum, uh, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, the Gospels, and by that he means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as eyewitness testimony. And at the beginning of the book, he has this wonderful quote. He says, we need to understand the Gospels as testimony. In doing so, we can recognize the theological meaning of the history not as some arbitrary imposition on the objective facts, but as the way the witnesses perceived the history in an inextric- 
inextricable coherence of observable events and perceptible meaning. Testimony is the category that enables us to read the Gospels in a properly historical way and a proper theological way. It's where history and theology meet. Now, what he's responding to is that, like, uh, you can't believe anything about the events to in, in order to record them accurately, right? That, oh, these people believe Jesus was God, so they're biased because in our modern world, we don't believe in that stuff. So we have to separate fact from history. And then, you know, you basically have these scholars today, Jesse, um, both from a, either a modernist or a postmodern postmodern perspective, like saying this and that happened in the New Testament and this didn't. Why? Well, this has a miracle or these people believed in God, so that couldn't happen. Mapping their own views on what they say mm-hmm. is history. And what Bauckham's book does, I think wonderfully saying, no, people can have a, a, a view of what's happening and what this event means and also record it accurately because yeah. they're giving a testimony about the person and the meaning of the event and what actually happened in that. And I think those two things, uh, what he calls um, historical theology, it's where history and theology meet. I think the Gospels are historical works and theological works, uh, or as some have said, theological biographies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're eyewitness testimony. This is, this is a, uh, a witness a witness that is giving us testimony, say, speaking of what he's seen, heard, tasted, touched. That's right. That's right. Um, and that's that's what they are at at essence. They are recording testimonies. That's right. That's right. And you know, years ago, Jesse, I read a book by a man named J.P. Moreland called "Scaling the Secular City," where he's talking about you know people who would like to say, "Well, you can't believe a, a testimony of an eyewitness." Um, if they're too close to the events. In other words, if they're biased, right? Oh, they really wanted Jesus to be somebody, so they just kind of said he was somebody. And he kind of recounted that, you know, bias does not necessarily rule out the testimony of the person. For instance, if you are a Holocaust survivor or a family member of them, yes, you're very biased, but that actually motivates you to recount the history accurately because it was so meaningful to you. Uh, the question is, is like, are people fabricating the story, right? And the New Testament is shown to be very accurate in conveying who Jesus was and what he did. And and these people, right, were all Jewish people following Jesus, right? They, they had a f- certain view of truth, right? They had a certain view of truth-telling. Uh, so the question we ask is, were they in a position to accurately record the truth? The answer is yes. And did they have the desire to accurately record the truth? The answer is yes. And does the text show this high standard of truth and integrity? And when you think about it, right, Jewish people would have known that part of the Ten Commandments, right, in their Torah, their Bible, you shall not give false testimony. They they didn't think lying, oh, let's lie and get rich doing it, you know, because they didn't do that, right? Or, Or Psalm 15 that says, uh, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, right? Hmm. That truth telling would have been a desire, and they certainly were capable of telling the truth, uh, and they conveyed that thing to uh, our writing New Testament as well. Put away falsehood, Ephesians four twenty five. Let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. We are members of one another. Or Revelation, the end of the Bible, which speaks about uh, who Jesus really is as King. 
uh, his judgments and his triumph in history and his purpose as the Messiah. Uh, when it speaks about God's judgment, it says, outside, cast away from God, are the dogs and sorcerers, sexual immorality, murderers, idolater, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Hmm. And so in the New Testament, we do have these testimonies that accurately record the people. You know, this is a question I was asking with some Muslim friends years ago, Jesse, and we'll close here. Um, I was in the Czech Republic uh, in Eastern Europe, and we're interacting with some folks on an um, a athletic team from the, the, from the Middle East. And they were like telling me things about Jesus, right, that came from their tradition. And I was like, well, how do you... How do you know that, like, about Jesus? Um, and I was like, well, who should we believe about Jesus? The people who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, saw Jesus, and then wrote down things about him? Or someone who lived hundreds of years later who said something different mm. about them? And I think what we have in the words of the disciples and the apostles are these eyewitness testimonies that combine theolo- theology and history in a way that we can see the person his teaching, and who he was, and then make a decision, right? Doesn't mean you believe, because there's another layer to this, right? Uh, we One, the Bible claims to be the Word of God, and we have this text that gives kind of evidence that it's divine, and there's a certain teaching in it, right? So the, the next layer for people is, right, you know, Jesus would say, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me will live even though he die. And then he'll look at his friends and say, do you believe this, Hmm. right? And that's where the act of faith and trust in the person, Jesus, that's revealed to us in Scripture, and his teaching to us, uh, we still have to trust him, Yeah, take him at his word, so to speak. But we have confidence that we have a trustworthy word given to us throughout history, and next time we will look at those historical realities, because the Bible didn't fall on a meteor out of heaven, right? Uh, it came forth through people, time, circumstance, and history, preserved for us in our reading today, translated for us. Now, Jesse can probably read Greek and Hebrew well. Uh, most of us can't. So we have the Bible in wonderful translation so that we can have confidence that we have truth from God to be loved, cherished, and believed, right? Because ultimately, it points the Bible points past itself to its author and yeah. to its king. Um, and, Je- and Jesse... Uh, when we see Jesus in the scriptures, uh, how what are the possible responses? And I'll give you the last word. Yeah, well, you know, um, I was going to say, before I say answer that question, I'm very excited about the next episode as well. I was uh, recently speaking at Crew at Radford University. Shout out to, to, uh, to those folks there. Um, and a young lady, Caitlin, came up to me. And I'm mentioning her because she's listening now. So, uh, and was asking, I was talking about how Jesus was memorizing scripture when he was in his desert temptation in Matthew 4. He's in, X, he's in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. Yeah. And uh, she was like, well, but what's, they, he didn't have the Bible like we have. Like, you know, how did he, what was he, and so I was like, oh, that's a good question. So, you know, t- so we were talking about like, what about, was it Constantine that got, Bible Bible. and and so i'm excited to get into the kind of authenticity and how we got what we have next time and i would just say as you read the scriptures this is what reed's talking about is they're internally consistent they testify to their own uh divine nature and they testify to the the source 
and the telos or the aim of the scriptures is God himself revealed to us by his son, Jesus. And so they, so really to believe in the Bible, like what we're talking about, requires us to become a worshiper and, and to bow, bow our, our heads and bend our knees in allegiance to King Jesus. Amen. Which and is a hard, you know, it's, a, it's not an easy path. It requires repentance, turning from sin and self and faith, right? Because Jesus is the one who said, if, if you love me, right, the outflow of that is that you'll keep his word, right? Amen, Jesse. We're going to look at the history of the text, the actual text of Scripture next time here on the Gospel Underground. We're a podcast produced together, the Gospel Underground and the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, wherever you do. Put reviews for us, five stars. We suggest five stars of you because that helps us. Send your comment, feedback to us, questions you might have that you want us to take up to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. In the confluence of God and man in the person of Jesus, in the confluence of the word of man, the word of God, to become the word of God through the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Read your Bible this week. It's Lent. Maybe download some apps, Jesse. What was that app? Uh, Hallowed. Teach you how to pray Catholic style. I've been listening (laughs) to uh, 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 our friends, uh, the Daily Liturgy. Out of Coram Deo on on Spotify. That's where we got to go. Daily Liturgy Podcast. Coram Deo Church. Hit it up. Peace. Peace.